people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend, sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig, and with me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? What up? What up? Man, I have had a day and a half of it already. All sorts of stuff going on. I'm feisty today. Watch yourself. Look it out. Look just, out for Caleb. Just letting you know. Hey, we're broadcasting once again on Tor Resource Radio, back by popular demand. Uh, we got enough people emailing me saying, hey, love the music, but really, where's the Robin Caleb show on the radio? We miss it. So uh, this is for everybody out there in the radio land. Um, I hope that you enjoy it. And yeah, I got to say, uh, this this is one of the odd times where, uh, one of the odd weeks where Rob is more prepared for these kind of things than I am. Uh, I've spent a significant portion of my uh, of my past week doing something completely different than preparing for a show, and that is the tour resource uh, the tour resource library. For those who don't know, tour resource has a digital library, and basically the digital library has everything up on it. It's all of our audio. It's all of our PDFs and everything. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, I decided, hey, you know, uh, we have all this video. It's not on YouTube. It's not on Vimeo. What should we do with it? And we got the bright idea to uh, to put it up in the library. So obviously, since it's a digital library, you know, I don't think people realize for $100 a year, a year, you can have, uh, you know, pretty soon you'll have access to everything Tor Resource has produced, including things that are unpublished. So, uh, consider it. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. So, how's it going, Rob? It's going well. Excited that we're coming into the seventh month and celebrating the fall feast season. Yes. Which uh, is always wonderful for, you know, the get-togethers and the, the, the scripture that we read, the songs we sing. Um, the the focus of our discussion and meditation of our heart, of course. But there's the other side to that is it's not without controversy around on the edges of like, you're not using the right terminology. This is pagan. It's like every, we, we get that kind of thing. It seems like at every turn uh, claims that there's pagan origins or, you know, this sort of thing. And so where the, that kind of comes with the, the territory. Well, you know, here's what I was thinking this morning, because, you know, we do a show every year now during the Christmas holiday called 
the Robin Caleb show Christmas special, right? <laughs> right. Which is ironic. But nonetheless, we do that and we love it. We do a Hanukkah special every year as well. Usually they coincide. Well, sometimes they coincide. Yeah. Usually they don't, right? This year, I think they're about a week off or so, maybe. And then we also do a uh, uh, Passover special every year now, right? And now this is, will be, I think, the third time that we will be talking about Rosh Hashanah, a.k.a. Yom Teruah, or the other way around, Yom Teruah, a.k.a. Rosh Hashanah, right? right, right. And uh, so apparently this is our Yom Teruah special. Um, and I, what I figure is if we can just figure out 53 things specials to do every year, then our entire podcast, our, our entire show will just be specials. Yes, I like it. And, and then well, we'd have the occasional special show that was a non special. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Let me, uh, let me just alert you to this. I now, for, the, for our regular listeners, you know that uh, last week and the previous week, first of all, I haven't been broadcasting on Tor Resource Radio, which we are right now. The other thing is, is that I haven't had my soundboard because I needed to do an update. And so I did said updates. And I know a lot of people have actually enjoyed not having our soundboard. It's, it's more professional to not have sound clips a lot. So I'll try to stay off of it as much as possible. But just to, to remember how wonderful some of these clips are, let's play something. How rude! Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Okay, um, before we get into it, let's just thank some people here. Um, most of all, I'd like to thank, let's see here. First of all, we'll start off the show by letting you know, we've already mentioned Torah Resource, so why not? Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of great free stuff. If you hover over that library, <clears throat> pardon me, if you hover over that library tab, um, there is a section that you have to pay to use, which is the books and teaching section. That's where you're going to find all of the books di in digital format, all of the audio, and all of the uh, video that I'm currently trying to get up there. Um, but there's a lot of other free stuff in there. There's stuff on the festivals, including booklets. So if you want to celebrate uh, Yom Teruah, the festival that starts begins tonight, if you want to celebrate that and don't know how, not a problem at all. Go to Torah Resource, hover over the uh, library tab, go down to yearly festivals. You'll be able to read about them in there and down towards the bottom of that page, there's all different resources of different blessings, uh, uh, booklets of blessings and everything for various nights. Uh, so yeah, check it out, TorahResource.com. And if you uh, like what you see, you should definitely get a library membership. It's $100 a year, but you have access to the entire digital library. I, I can't stress it enough. It really is an amazing deal. Um, <clears throat> I got something down here. Uh, the other thing that we should uh, say is that the Robin Caleb Show predominantly and mainly is brought to you by the support of listeners like you. If you enjoy the Robin Caleb Show um, and if you it, it's a benefit to you, I would uh, I would maybe suggest to you that uh, you help us continue the show. Go to tourresource.com and if you go to the donate page. You can make a one-time donation, and if you'd like to, uh, let us know that it's uh, because of the Robin and Caleb Show or for the Robin Caleb Show. 
there's a little place on the right hand side to make comments and you can just say uh, this is for the Robin Caleb show or for Tor Resource Radio or for whatever it is you can write us a note um, tell us how much you hate us but that you are supporting us anyway <laughs> so yes well, we, we are very grateful for all of the support of our listeners and uh, uh, truly a blessing from the almighty okay let's get into it um, today we have several different topics. Now, should we start? I think should we save Yom Teruah for later? I think we should. That think? could be our last thing. It is a main topic kind of a thing. Uh, so you have okay. Well, let's go to our our listener comments first. <clears throat> I'm gonna mute myself for a second and cough. Uh, explain who D A uh, D H Harris is. We we this person popped up. Oh, we got haven't yeah, okay. seen him again. Go for it. Yeah. So this is just to. If anybody follows our Facebook, they'll see that um, there was an individual named D.C. Harris. D.C. Harris, yes. D.C. Harris, who claimed to be a really big fan and had some big, uh, some interactions, said they li- he liked 98% of what we talked about, but he'd only watched a couple shows. Yes. So if That's fine. Hey, man. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, of course, just a few shows, it's hard to know when we've done, I mean, this December, Lord willing, we'll be coming to our 200th show. So, um, one of the, the 2% apparently he disagrees with is that Torah is a positive for the life of the believer, which is strange because that's one of our main, uh, foundational, uh, structural elements, again, all to everything Torah resource is about. So that was strange to, to say he agrees with almost everything we say, but he took issue with our description of righteousness, imputed righteousness. We were talking about how our new life in Yeshua is Yeshua's resurrection life. And like we talked about baptism, this was a couple of weeks ago coming out of family camp when there were some wonderful uh, uh, baptisms. And uh, he didn't like the way we talked about it. And so if anybody's interested and you go to Facebook and you go back a few weeks, you can take all this out. Can I clarify real quick? I just want to make sure I I want to make sure that people understand if you haven't, because I know that, uh, you know, we got a number of people in the chat room that I know were uh, listening to that show. But for those who don't understand what uh, we mean by imputed righteousness, imputed righteousness means that uh, when Yeshua's death on the cross, when he died on the cross, his righteousness and his bloodshed, his death, is then imputed. It's basically transferred to us. So when the father looks at us, what he sees, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see the the rags and the and the dirtiness of sin on us. Instead, he sees Yeshua. He sees the the blood, the clean blood of Yeshua that has washed us clean. And now we, he we're seen as righteous because of him, not because of anything that we've done. This right. is what we mean by imputed righteousness. Keep going. And God is in God being outside of time, he. He sees Yeshua as the verdict of Yeshua's resurrection. Everyone who is found in him is like, has become like Yeshua. Yes. Is, 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 but, uh, but not on their own merits, right? That's the, that's it, the point. Is that Yeshua yeah. says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, etc. No one comes to the Father but by but, me. Yeah. So God, this is the grace. This is the grace of God that he views us even today as we will be. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So, uh, it, it, but in, in any event, um, th- there was a comment that really, I, I went back and forth with, with Mr. Harris trying to find what his issue was. Because it was like he kept dropping these things, well, you guys are struggling, 
And it's like, okay, well, what what's he trying to say? And here, actually, actually, well, we should we should set this up maybe just a little bit more. One of the fun things about this interaction was that Rob and I both saw he dropped this comment that was like, "What I see is two one Torah guys struggling with justification by faith." And he doesn't like one Torah because yeah, he put one Torah. He says, "You guys are all, you know." almost heretical in Judaizers and stuff like this. So he's dropping. But we didn't respond he's... to it. We didn't. We, we were both just like, that's an offhanded uh, comment. Okay. But the thing is, is that for me. He persisted. I, he, he sent another. He, he was persistent, yes. Okay. The, the, okay. For me, the thing about uh, people who, who use these kind of arguments, and this is just a personal thing, but for me, it sounds to me like those people have not truly either grasped or – uh, researched what one Torah theology is, because or one even Torah... just what Torah resource, what yeah, sure. What, uh, what this is like this. Example, is, yeah. This is kind of like uh, you know when uh, the IAMCS steering committee um, with what's his name down in Florida. Oh my yeah. When when they accused my father of of teaching a false gospel, which I, I think that most people who listen to this show would know what Paul says about. People who teach a false gospel that they're cursed, they are right? Cursed, yeah. And so, basically, what the IAMCS steering committee said about my father was that he was a curse because he was teaching a false gospel. And then they uh, went on to assert that he taught salvation by works, which is, I mean, my father's response obviously was uh, pulling numerous times in his various From commentaries, all his teachings. Yeah, yeah. Say, look, again and again and again. There's no way I teach that. And they never replied. I don't think did they ever reply to. Your father's letter? I uh, no, I had a personal conversation on the phone with Mr. Stepikoff. Uh, he was unrelenting in his uh, assertion that uh, he, he said, well, maybe we need to rewrite it. But, uh, I mean, they haven't rewritten it. They haven't taken it down. And, and they uh, continue. In my mind, the steering committee of the IAMCS continues to push that my father's a heretic because he teaches salvation by works. Uh, which Misrepresenting, I, yeah. A that's... horrible misrepresentation and certainly not uh, becoming of of. First of all, believers and brothers and sisters of, in the Lord, uh, it's it's a wonder to me that people would stay under the banner of a steering committee that uh, heaps such false accusations and such slander uh, upon an, another brother in, in the Lord. Now, if he if if my father was really teaching a false gospel, then good on him, right? I mean, if, if my father was really teaching, a, a, for those who might not listen to this show on a regular basis, my father, Tim Haig, is the director and CEO of, uh, is he a CEO? President of Torah Resource and Torah Resource Institute. So you can read plenty of his work on Torah Resource. But if my father was really uh, teaching a false gospel, then sure, the steering committee would have every right. However, the egregious part of this whole story is that, and I don't, this is kind of a side trail, but the, uh, the egregious part of this whole story is that my father's response showed hands down that what they were saying was totally an error and not true. And yet they, they don't even respond. Anyway, keep going. So now, now, now we're back to D, DH or DC, I'm sorry, DC Harris, who basically that whole thing was to say, I don't think that he truly understands what or has not grasped what one Torah theology teaches because right. it has it, this, it, this Torah does not have anything to do with justification. It has to do with sanctification and just That's justification right. and sanctification are both wrapped up in salvation. Right. But justification, a person is declared righteous without anything that they've ever done before sanctification ever comes into play. 
Okay, now now to the comment. DC Harris, go. So uh, one in, in this back and forth, he he a couple times I he mischaracterizes us, and here he says respectfully, it is not enough to have your sins wiped clean, which makes it sound like that's what we are saying. But anyway, in an event, this is what he says. Respectfully, it is not enough to have your sins, sins wiped clean. You must also have his righteousness imputed to you. In other words, if your sins were wiped clean and he did not reckon you as righteous, i.e. justified, then you would be morally neutral, like Adam was in the Garden of Eden before he made any choices. So you must have his righteousness imputed to you in order for God to see you as legally righteous and to be justified. In other words, imputed righteousness is half of justification. And his point is, he, uh, that's the end of the quote, he thinks that we are misrepresenting a core principle of biblical theology, which is uh, imputed righteousness. And time and time again, if you look at the quote, he's saying, you guys are not representing it correctly, etc. You, know you know what I think he's saying? You know what I think he's saying? Hmm. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. Sorry, I got my soundboard back. I Caleb had to. has a soundboard back. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. I still have it in the back of my mind. La, 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 it's so the, good. It's okay, great. keep going. Keep going. So the point is here, and this this is where he play. This is where he plays his, shows his hand, basically where he's coming from. If your sins were wiped clean, this is DC Harris. If your sins were wiped clean, and he did not reckon you as righteous, that is justified. You would be morally neutral, like Adam was in the Garden of Eden before he made any choices. Okay, so what Harris is doing, he's dividing forgiveness of sin from imputation of righteousness and saying that they are two separate things and that um, we are only emphasizing one half of these things. And he's so he's splitting our new life in Messiah as one half of it is to be forgiven of sin. And, and if that's all we had, it would be a moral neutrality, but we need this positive, uh, this imputation of righteousness. And um, thinking about this, you know, I, I uh, wanted to quote from Tim Haig's commentary on Romans, on Romans chapter 4. So this is volume 1, uh, page 85 from Tim's commentary on Romans. And this is right where Paul quotes, remember Paul quotes two key texts at the beginning of Romans 4. The first is Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteous. Mm -hmm. And so that's Genesis 15. But he also quotes Psalm 32, where David says, Blessed is the man uh, whose sins are are forgiven, to whom the Lord does not account uh, his wicked deeds. And this is David. Okay, so we have Abraham and David, and Paul's saying, so this is uh, the truth of righteousness in Messiah is just as true for Abraham and David as it is for us, right? That's one key point. But here, this is what Tim says, and this is really helpful. Uh, Tim here is commenting on Paul's citation of Psalm 32. So you've got to think those first verses of Psalm 32 here in the beginning of Romans 4. Tim writes, what is of initial interest to us as we attempt to understand Paul's words here is the commentary Paul gives by way of introduction to the quote from Psalm 32. Paul writes, quote, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. 
So that's, that is Paul's commentary on Psalm 32. This is, he's not citing Psalm 32 yet. But how does Paul interpret it? He says, David speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. But, but yet, that's, that's what Tim goes on to say, yet David says nothing about reckoning righteousness in the actual psalm, only about sins being forgiven and transgressions covered. Tim goes on to say, the point is obvious. For Paul, the one inevit- uh, inevitably, or sorry, the one inevitably secures the other. To have one's sins forgiven means that one has the righteousness of my uh, Messiah accredited to his account. Yes. There is simply no neutral ground where one is forgiven but not declared, declared righteous. righteous. Yeah. And see, D.C. Harris is trying to say, oh, you guys are just saying, um, you know, sins are forgiven, and therefore there's you become morally neutral like Adam. Um, and so... Uh, Tim goes on to say, thus, it is entirely wrong-headed to interpret, as some do, a verse like 2 Corinthians 5.19, as though it teaches that God forgave everyone of their sins, and now he awaits their choice to live righteously. Um, and we, and see this, we see this in the Hebrew Roots movement now a lot cropping up, right? <clears throat> the idea that, that everyone basically, uh, well, there's two quasi-sides to this, right? There's uh, there's universalism that says everyone's saved, right? Everyone will will someday get there, and this is like a, a Rob Bell kind of uh, w- love wins kind of teaching. And then there's uh, the other side, which is more in the Hebrew roots, which is okay. There's uh, the punishment is really uh, is really annihilation theory, right? Which is that there's no eternal punishment at all. In fact, the punishment is not is is not existing. We've yeah. talked about this a little bit on on a, on a previous show. Uh, my challenge to that was then, and I mean maybe this is too complex, but my challenge to that is well, then were we eternally punished before we existed? We don't have a beginning. We, we have a beginning, right? Anyway, that, that's a totally different uh, subject. Keep going though. So, what, so, so, what's your point on this, the splitting of hairs? And I, I get your point, the, but restate. The core here is that Caleb, you and I are are saying we're not trying to parse this out into that forgiveness of sins is one aspect that God accomplishes, but He also accomplishes a second step of imputation of 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 righteousness. Yeah. We see this as it's it's one whole thing. Exactly. Um, yes. As we were, and we just go back to Romans. You know, you're baptized into his death. You're raised into his life. It's it, it's um, there's no baptism uh, in Messiah's death where you don't also participate in his life, in his resurrection life. It's not like yeah. it, it's, and so um, it just this is one of the few places in, in this back and forth that D.C. Harris in in this interaction continues to try to a gain some sort of traction in our conversation, but it all the while mischaracterizing us and in mischaracterizing us also lumps us in with a group called, uh, what's the other, um, a group that, that is on the complete other uh, different world in terms of messianic teaching that the Torah is for Jews only, Yeah, you know, this was six thirteen for Jews and seven for everybody else kind of like, but still claim to be, and they have all their rabbis, and they have all their, uh, uh, you know, ordination for rabbinic schooling and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and, but yet they claim to be followers of Yeshua, 
but they are very much Talmudically informed in, in their map of the world and etc. So he's lumping us kind of with them, suggesting we are uh, teaching illegalism. And uh, but yet he says to agree with 98 percent of what we say. But then he says that he's only watched a few of our videos. So it's th this is a person who really seems to be pretty confused. Um, and I, I can grant that he probably just hasn't spent enough time thinking about these things. But some of the lines were like, look, look, guys, this is all, you know, you know, the the scholars before us have already pretty much settled all this. OK, and, so and, and you guys just are a minority view. OK, you know? well, hang on just a sec. <clears throat> this is this is I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but I've had uh, this accusation now three times in the past couple of weeks from three different people. The accusation is, well, scholarship is on my side. In other words, talking about and I'm not talking about like really deep, you know, theological issues. I'm talking about the Torah, you know, the sanctification. God gave us the Torah to be sanctified through Torah. Okay. In other words, I believe, as does Rob, both Jew and Gentile uh, are called by God to keep the Torah. I believe that most Christians are keeping most of the Torah, um, especially the weightier parts of the Torah. But uh, I believe that Torah is the way that God sanctifies his people. Now, in these kind of conversations, I've had people say recently, I've had three different people say recently, well, you know, scholarship is on my side. In other words, you, you say, you know, you put this high emphasis on scholarship, you put this high emphasis on education, if theology matters, scholarship counts, but really what you're doing is you're going against scholarship completely. Scholarship 99% of the time is going to disagree with you in what you're saying about the Torah. This is the accusation. Now, this is, this is actually interesting because scholarship as a whole is not, there's no like scholars believe this, right? It doesn't matter what, I mean, scholarship is the way, is the way that we study and the way that we, we look at the Bible and look at different things relating to the Bible, but scholarship is not like a mindset. Okay. You, you can't say, well, scholars believe this. No, no, no. I mean, look, take something as, as simple as, uh, okay. Uh, Luke, because it's in my mind, Luke 22, 19 and 20. Well, this is a, this is a common verse. Most people know it. This is my body uh, broken for you. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. And, and then he takes the cup and he passes it to them. He says, Dr uh, each of you drink of this. Uh, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me, right? Well, there is books and books and books. One scholar has written 138 pages just on this one passage, these two verses. Um, and so, and everybody disagrees, right? There's all sorts of different views on, on, uh, on just this one passage. So the idea, first of all, that scholarship has this one, you know, 99% of scholars agree with me. No, no, no. There's all sorts of nuance within, within scholarship, right? N.T. Wright is going to disagree with, with uh, Piper on, on certain aspects yeah, of yeah. this. Um, and, you know, even good, good scholars like uh, Walter Kaiser or Daniel Block, they might agree with some of that, but they're also going to say, no parts of this, you know, I disagree with you on parts of this because of this, this, and this. So the other thing that we have to remember about scholarship and this argument is back in the 1500s, the majority of scholarship agreed with the Catholic Church, right? Mm -hmm. It was the Re Reformation that came along and really changed that. 
Now, today, because of the Reformation, we have evangelical uh, theology, and that theology is, is a huge portion of, of scholarship today, right? Um, but scholarship continues to change, and why does it change? And this is the beauty of scholarship in its, in na in its natural sense, is that scholarship is the study of the word. And so people will always disagree on different aspects, but that's what changes the tides of scholarly view. I will have my view changed right. by scholarship. You will have your view changed by scholarship. And the reason why is because we will read new things, new things will come to light. People will see things in, in, uh, in new ways. It's like, a, I mean, it, it's like, it's like a chess game. And this might sound weird, but the, the chess game is no matter what, there's millions and millions and millions of moves you can do after the first couple moves, right? And you would think that there's been so many chess games and so many wonderful players that have come along that are so brilliant at the game. How are you ever going to find a new move that's going to do anything different? But they do, don't they? Right? I mean, chess is constantly an, an evolving game. Anyway, uh, this is a total rabbit trail. Okay, so... Uh, well, but the point is, it comes down to this, is... Why the Reformation? The Reformation was based on, wow, the institutions of men, the scholarship of the world has like a Titanic gone, you know, in the wrong direction. And you have a voice that says, no, Scripture says this. Scripture says something different. And so the challenge then for that person who says Scripture says something different. Is to prove it. Is they, Yeah. It's like, first of all, the person to say Scripture says something different, and then it's calling people to follow them. That's a that is a that should be really heavy on one's shoulders, right? Well, beyond Martin Luther, Martin Luther originally was not trying to separate uh, from the Catholic Church. Yeah, he wanted to go and reform it from inside. He's saying, look, he gave the benefit of the doubt that everybody would receive and see what it is. His, he was pointing out, and that everything would just be corrected. Um, but this is not different this, than, than Yeshua's day. Well, right? that'll, And that's what we're going to get into today a little bit, too, I think, when we talk about Matthew. My, my other point is, is that, you know, when you look at good scholars, really good scholars, leading scholars, you know, um, Dr. Bach, who is a Luke, uh, Luke Acts scholar, might disagree completely with uh, uh, Joachim Jeremiah's on his take in Luke 22, right? And uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Wright might disagree with Bach. So you have- well, We know, we know N.T. Wright, Wright and um, uh, John Piper yeah. have written books, scholarly books, <clears throat> kind of- Against each other. A gentlemanly, uh, Christian brotherly uh, sparring. But yeah. they, but, but it's, but it's, not without heavy, you know, they each are really, really solid in their position. Meticulous. And it, yeah, and so uh, I think they're both going to, uh, not one is going to say, oh, the other is a heretic, but they get they get into details, they draw on, on scripture, they draw on history to so argue their point. The chat room and has we all a, benefit, we yeah. all benefit from that back and forth. The, the chat room has a great comment. This is a wonderful comment from Jeremy. Jeremy says, well, even if I read something by E.P. Sanders or Daniel Wallace, it has credibility and weight, but just one or two sources, no matter how credible, doesn't make an interpretation monolithic. 
Correct. Good point. Perfect. That's why when I say scholarship is on my side is kind of a a weak way to talk. If you're going to really get you, what you want to say is you could say Daniel Block is on my side, right? You could say M.T. Wright is on my side or I'm on his side, right? I mean, you could be, be very specific in that and still... And that that's going to be helpful for the argument because then someone says, oh, I didn't know N.T. Wright looked at that way. And then it gives the person to or they could say, you know what, I've read N.T. Wright on that issue. And I I think Piper has uh, got a better uh, approach on that point. You so know, this is why this is why uh, the uh, the generation that's coming up, which is essentially within my generation, a little bit older. We have scholars in the in the one tour movement like my father like yourself, Rob, like, uh, uh, and then uh, even people that we might disagree with on certain issues. J.K. McGee uh, is, you know, he's done his his hard work and, and uh, gotten a good education. Now we have guys coming up who are getting good educations. Andre Philippe, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Blackwelder is up at Trinity right now. Uh, there's other people who are, who are doing the hard work to really, uh, you know, get a good education and be able to say, okay, and it's not just I have a piece of paper that says I, I've done the work. It's no, I've gone through the, the hard steps of being able to understand how this process works and how to cite sources and all these kind of things in order to be able to put up these kind of good arguments. And that's important. Um, yeah, okay. So I suppose we should move on. I look forward to your interpretation. Um <clears throat> We should say now at this point in our show <laughs> that uh, the Robin Caleb show is also brought to you by Kava Messianic Radio. Go to messianicradio.com. Uh, now, this we've said it once, we've said it a million times, but we'll continue to say it. Kava Messianic Radio is really a unique website. And, uh, and it, does anyone, I should know this, I really should know this. Does Kava Messianic Radio have an app yet? Probably not. I don't think so. But their website is uh, is is stellar. You can find it on your phone if you want to. And uh, basically, if you're into messianic movement or in in the messianic movement, you like messianic music. This is really the place to go uh, in terms of on demand. His his program learns your like kind of what you like. And these kind of things, it's, you know, it's like the machines that will take, no, I'm playing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really a good website that, that uh, you can, you can uh, tailor what you hear to your own specific tastes. And so uh, we would encourage you to go there and check out MessianicRadio.com. Chava Messianic Radio, music for Yeshua's disciples. Okay, let's move on. Let's go straight now to, let's see here. My well, I, 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 are we doing Matthew now? You know, I think we should punt Matthew until maybe next week. Uh, oh, okay, because of time. Because of time. Well, it doesn't matter. We could do it at the end, too. You want to you go over it real quick? Go. Go. Oh, I had posted on, <coughs> on the Facebook just and had some good response. How do we uh, – and we, we should make this quick because we do want to get into the Rosh Hashanah. It's In Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah. I stand corrected. <laughs> In Matt, we, we seem to have – potential conflict someone could bring to you. Caleb, someone could come up and say, I've been reading your gospel of Matthew, and in Matthew 15, Yeshua tells the Pharisees that they're transgressing the commandment of God for the sake of their tradition, because it says in Matthew 15, 4, for God said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mothers be put to death. But you, you Pharisees say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever I have, that would help you has been given to God. 
that he is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So in Matthew 15, Yeshua upholds the commandment to honor your father and mother, talking about your earthly parents, that it is the actual word of God and that the Pharisaic tradition have, has uh, uh, basically nullified the word of God. So, okay, so Yeshua affirms the Torah, we would say. But this person, this hypothetical person who's coming up to you, challenging you, but in flip now in your Bible to Matthew 13. So we're in the same book of the Bible, the same book of the Bible, Matthew, same gospel, and Yeshua seems to say something different. He says in verse 9, don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. So in Matthew 15, Yeshua says you can't let any traditions wipe out the commandment to honor your father and mother, and it's talking about earthly father. But yet in Matthew 23, he says, don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. It seems to me, this is this hypothetical person who's arguing, from wants to hear an explanation from you. Caleb, explain to me, how can Yeshua, in the same gospel, in one breath, say the commandment to honor your father and mother is the most important or more important rather and and to be upheld over against any trans uh, uh, tradition but at the in, in another breath say that you can't call anyone on earth father okay so my interpretation of this uh i think <clears throat> i think the best way to state this is to show what came afterwards right we have this split within judaism and christianity I'm working on this right now, actually, uh, uh, this aspect of my thesis, which is the uh, the parting of the ways. Okay, And I think this came about because of the Fiscus Judaicus, which uh, is the tax that was levied against Jews after the uh, destruction of the temple in 70 AD, right? And this is really where you start to see the, the extreme splinter and split between Judaism and Christianity. Well, in, in Christianity, what do we see? Uh, even by the uh, the second century, we start to see titles being given, bishop, right, and father is one of them, and the uh, the church, even into this day, uses the title father, right? You call your priest father, father, forgive me for uh, for I have sinned. I think is how I've never been in a Catholic confessional, but I think that that's how you start your Catholic confessional. Um, and then on the other uh, other side of the spectrum, spectrum, you have uh, the the word rabbi, which is already creeping in in the first century. John is called rabbi, um, uh, and then Yeshua is called rabbi, right? And so this split happens. You have Judaism using rabbi as a title, and it's not just a title of teacher. It's a title of authority. In other words, what this person says is it's almost as if what this person says is from God, right? The same with the Catholic Church. If the Father says it, if the if the priest says it, it's it's like it's coming straight from God. If the Rabbi says it, it's like it's handed down from Moses, right? I mean, and these are the kind of words that they use. So I think that the title Father and Rabbi in that time were starting to take on this this sense of of authority in biblical matters, almost as if they weren't questioned. That's what that's my uh, my understanding. No, that's a that's a valid uh, view. And and to, to add some more detail on the post destruction kind of timeline, 
that we have, even in our earliest Syriac uh, sources from the early Christian monastic communities um, that wrote in Aramaic or Syriac, that they, they preserve, they have people called Rabban, and they have a title, and they have the title Abba. So they, they preserve, even in the uh, Eastern Christianity, you have Abba and Rabban, and in later rabbinic tradition, you have Abba. There's uh, all manner of people called Abba can and I just, Rab, Rav and Rabba. Can I just stop you real quick? Sure. Would you like to know how many people are watching on YouTube currently? Sure. Take one guess. 36. It's our entire audience is listen right now on YouTube. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. Okay, keep going. So, so, and so uh, so the the chat room, the chat room is bringing up that, uh, you know, uh, Pope means father. Yeah, Yeah, father. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we have that issue uh, in in both expressions. Um, one thing with the fit, just to also a footnote on the Fiscus Judaicus idea. We have to remember Yeshua says that they will kick you out of the synagogues because of your faith in me. So there's just, there is that element as well, uh, not just the external uh, kind of census taking and taxation by by Roman authorities. But um, so so back to this father though, the the my answer if someone asks me this, I would say, well, we you you. You need to go to. You need to look at the Greek because the translations are are letting your English brain, your English infrastructure, mind categorize things that shouldn't be put together. The commandment in fifteen to honor your father and mother is singular. You, Caleb, shall honor your father, right? And and that and that commandment is applies to every person individually to honor their father and their mother as individuals. That commandment cannot be broken. That is a, that is a, the word of God and stands forever. Sure, sure. In Matthew 23, if we look at verse 20 uh, at 8 and 9 together, they go together. He says, "Do not be called rabbi." Who's he addressing? He's addressing his disciples. Obviously, there are people outside of the discipleship of Yeshua that are called rabbi. He's not telling them not to be called rabbi. He's commanding his disciples, right? "Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, you are all brothers." Mm. So this y'all is the word he uses over and over again. Y'all are brothers. So you are brothers. You are a family. He's not saying that you are literally uh, brothers in terms of you have the same father on earth. Yeah. He's saying you all. It's He's not saying you all in the, everybody in the world is brothers. He's saying you guys, my fathers are brothers, or my followers are brothers. And do not call anyone on earth, you're all, all y'all's father. So he's telling them again, y'all are brothers, but there's no one on earth you're going to go around collectively and say they are that this person is all y'all's father. He says you have one father who's in heaven. Yeah. So the point is in the Greek there's a clear uh, distinction of the of the the uh, horizon or the the span or scope of of what's being talked about. That there's no conflict between Matthew 15 and Matthew 23 on this use of father. Matthew 15 upholds the commandments from the ten, the ten words. You, as an individual, shall honor your father as an individual who's one person and your mother, right? That, that commandment stands. And then Matthew 23 is all y'all, 
that means like he's talking to imagine he's talking to a room of people here. He says, all you guys as a unit, don't call someone our father on earth as, it, as a unit. Wouldn't it be uh, so helpful and also hilarious if somebody made a translation, but used the plurals. So all y'all, all y'all. All y'all for, for, you know, use uh, <laughs> That's that would what be... I tried to do on one of those Facebook things. I was like, all y'all, it's like, um, all y'all are brothers. Don't all y'all be calling on earth <laughs> all y'all's father. For all y'all have one father who's in heaven. But that's oh, the only no. way I could get it across. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's well, the they English... do. If, if, you take, if you take Mounce's uh, b, uh, basics of biblical Greek, I mean, this is what he does. You know, he uses yeah, y'all. Yeah. Or and you, the reason you know. is because in, in English, we've uh, the problem that English language gives us is that in a potential stumbling block, if we don't attune uh, to the, these nuances of language, is the word you. I can use the word you for a singular, Caleb, I'm talking to you, or I'm talking to a group and I'm saying you. It can mean singular or sure, plural. Sure, sure, sure. Whereas Greek, you can't. You can't, yeah. Greek, it's when you say be one you, or the other. it's singular. Yeah. Just like Hebrew, ata or atem. Yeah. Okay, we, we need to move on because we're... Yeah, so uh, that's the... So finally, that takes us to another place where we have this is tradition of men and even paganism influencing and overriding the Word of God. Okay, so this is... And this will bring us to our main point. But before we get to said main point... Let's just point out that if you don't, uh, you know, do you have this the problem that so many do, that you have clothes without the name Yeshua on it? Well, if so, you should go to YeshuaShirts.com because you can find all sorts of shirts that have the name Yeshua all over them. And uh, All y'all can. All y'all can. Go to YeshuaShirts.com. They got more than just shirts too, right? They got uh, cups. They got bumper stickers now. They got uh, sweatshirts. Uh, good quality, and they treat us so well. Uh, they, you know, the the people at Yeshua Shirts are are just really a blessing to us, and uh, we're we're happy to not only wear their products, uh, which I do almost every day now because they've sent me and <laughs> they've sent me enough clothes. Uh, I actually, yeah, they've sent me enough clothes. I have a hat, and uh, so I'm I usually have some form of Yeshua shirt garb on. Uh, which is really nice because it, it, it does exactly what they uh, uh, what their tagline says to start a conversation. I have a lot of people ask me, "What does that say? What does that mean?" Um, I've tried a couple of different lines to tr- uh, open up conversation, and most of them have worked. You know, I will say this: the most predominant place that I get asked about Yeshua shirts, what my shirt says or what my hat says, is the checkers at Target. Who would have thunk? Okay, anyway, uh, check those guys out, YeshuaShirts.com. Okay, so let's move on now to what we will call our main topic. Hang on, i got to get, man, this whole two keyboards thing. I've taken a picture of this before. You can't see it because I've really brought the camera in close. i got three screens that come around me like this. i got a soundboard right here, and then I have two keyboards. And it's really very confusing. Um, Okay, so let's see here. Oh, well, there's multiple ways that we can we can bring this up. First of all, uh, we got an email from Stephanie. Stephanie said, "Gentlemen, 
does Rosh Hashanah have anything to do with the festival of Akidu? Uh, and the, this comes from, uh, let me set this argument up for everybody, and then we'll go to a clip, which we've used before. Remember, this topic is not one that, we've, uh, th that we haven't ever done before. Uh, the very first time we ever talked about this was on show 92, which you can find on our YouTube page. Go to our YouTube page, you can find show 92, and uh, I think this conversation will be a little bit different than that one. So here's the idea, is that uh, God gives us the first month, right? He says, this will be the first month for you. He's talking about Nisan, right? The, the month of Nisan, which is the month that you have the festival of Passover. My favorite festival, right? Festival of Passover is, is by far my favorite festival. And uh, it's supposed to be in the first month, right? So this is, Nisan is the new year, right? So when Nisan comes around, what do we do? We celebrate the new year, or we should. This is the argument, Okay. However, Judaism, now this is the argument that other people are giving, people within, uh, well, different sects. It's not just the Hebrew roots or the Messianic movement. Other people are giving this argument as well. The argument goes something like this. Judaism has now said that uh, Rosh Hashanah, or Yom, first of all, God gives us this festival in the seventh month, right? Rosh Hashanah. But it's not called Rosh Hashanah in the Torah. It's called Yom Teruah. And what does Yom Teruah mean? It literally means the day of shouting. Um, and in the Torah, we really do not have a lot of explanation about what's going on, right? We have uh, that this on the first day of the seventh month uh, will be the day of shouting for you and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, there's it basically just uh, from other passages, we know that it's actually probably more uh, literally supposed to be translated the day of trumpets. Uh, the day to hear the trumpets, these kind of things. Uh, once we get into pro prophecy, and uh, especially once you get into the apostolic scriptures, but once you get into prophecy, you can see that uh, uh, the, the trumpets are the coming of the king. So this is more, we see the progression of the coming of the king on Yom Teruah. Then 10 days later, we have the uh, Day of Atonement. In other words, you know, the Day of Reckoning. And then uh, just right after that, we have Sukkot, which is a representative of uh, of eternity, right? Of, of uh, the eternal reign of the Messiah with us. Okay, so we have this wonderful picture uh, in the biblical feast that shows up in these three festivals, and actually not just these three festivals, in all five of the festivals that are prescribed in the Torah, the main festivals, which is Passover, Shavuot, uh, Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot. All five of these really show the timeline of history from beginning to end, uh, in terms of at least in terms of the Messiah and his and his, the work that he does first and second coming. Okay, so the argument goes that Judaism now has brought in that the first of the seventh month is actually the new year, and this is why it's called. This is why they call it Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, because Rosh means head, Ha means the, and Shana means year, Rosh Hashanah, okay? Uh -huh. So this is uh, the new year. This is how you would say the new year. And the claims now are being made that this came about because of pagan tradition, that there was a pagan new year. One of the times of the pagan new year was, uh, it was called Akidu. And uh, I'm probably saying that wrong. My, I probably am putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, but um, uh, that's how I read it. Akidu. What, what do you think? Is that right, Rob? Yeah, that's 
Okay. So uh, the point is, is that this is now um, one of the arguments that this is uh, that Rosh, Rosh Hashanah is actually pagan, that we should really just keep Yom Teruah. It sh- it's never called Rosh Hashanah, we, and we shouldn't refer to it as such. Um, and one of the people, now, this is a very common argument. I'm not trying to pick on Paul Neese and Paul uh, has, but Paul made this video years ago, I think, and it's still up. And so I, uh, I, I just pulled the same clip that I used back in show 92. We'll listen to it again. Let's just hear, this is kind of how the common argument, one of the common arguments that would go in the Messianic or Hebrew Roots movement. I wanted to make this video and talk a little about a special holy day in the Bible called Yom Teruah, and that is upon us right now. Now, many people use this traditional day of Rosh Hashanah and completely mix it up and get it wrong. Uh, This uh, Rosh Hashanah day is really not the new year, and on any calendar you find, even the biblical calendar, there's no such thing as a new year during the middle of the year. That just doesn't make sense. The Bible says the year starts during the spring feast, not the fall feast. And so where did we get this true day, this holy day of Yom Teruah, which we're appointed and and commanded to keep according to the scriptures, and that's for every believer in the scriptures, are commanded to keep that. Whether you call yourself Jewish or Christian or a follower of Yeshua or whatever, you're commanded to keep the feast days. It's it's not my opinion. Okay, I'm not going to keep going with this clip. There's still, I don't know... Okay, so in the middle there, he, he, right in the middle. Could you start it over and then I'll pause it and I'll tell you to stop it. I wanted to make this video and talk a little about a special holy day in the Bible called Yom Teruah, and that is upon us right now. Now, many people use this traditional day of Rosh Hashanah and completely mix it up and get it wrong. This uh, Rosh Hashanah day is really not the new year. And on any calendar you find, even the biblical calendar, there's no such thing as a new year during the middle of the year. That just doesn't make sense. The Bible says the year starts during the spring feast, not Stop the there. Fall. Stop there. The Bible says the year begins on the spring feast. Is that what he said? Yes. Okay. Now, hey, hey, okay, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, there's, there's a specific point we need to make. My, I think he's citing... Exodus 12. Yes, I agree. And let, let's just read Exodus 12. Can I just... The, verse I, the, 2, because okay. it's important. You know, go ahead. It's a, go ahead. I just need to make a one point, and go then ahead. I'll hand yep. it back. Verse 1 says, Vayomer Adonai el Moshe vel Aharon beretz Mitzrayim lemor. So uh, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Mitzrayim in Egypt, saying, Hachodesh hazelachem rosh chadashim. The, this month, Lachem, for you, Rosh Hadashim, is the head of months. Rosh Hadashim. And then it says, Rishon Hu Lachem, Lachodshe Hashanah. Rishon Hu, it is the Rishon Lachem, for you, Lachodshe Hashanah, for the months of the year. It never calls it so, Rosh Hash- re- head re- of the year. Re- it says twice, it says it is the head of months. It is the first of months. That's okay, important. I, I agree, but at the same time... But we- what he says, it, he, what, but what I heard him say is that the Bible says that it's the first of the year. And you're saying that it's the first of the months. It's where it's the, you, In my reading of Exodus 12, verse 2, 
it's saying that this month, which of course is Nisan, we know that. But what would that mean? Month of Aviv, that it's where you start counting the months from. You start counting one here. Yeah, and but that, he's talking and, and about that, cycles that, of months. But that would be the new year, wouldn't it? No, there's no word new here, unless you want to say Chodeshim is months is the word Chodesh. Okay, let me put up an argument then. I mean, let's for a second. I move. think you. I think we need to be careful that we don't impose too much on Exodus twelve verse two. But what would that make mean? It say what would make that it mean? Say, it doesn't say Rosh Hashanah. Okay, but the po- the point is, I agree. But if the point, and that I think that's Paul's point, right? I think that's no, one of the no, points. No, no, no. Is that no? Is, he says Rosh Hashanah is only here. He well, says that Rosh Hashanah is here, if not you, in the seventh look, month. Look, if you start counting one in Nisan, that when you come back around to it, and you're at twelve or thirteen, depending on what year it is, you start over. That means it's the start starting of a new. Cycle, a new year, right? Only if you define Shana, it depends. If you define Shana as, as Shana must be a, a fixed concept. I, I agree. I agree that I think that, uh, that we're supposed to start counting the months. Let me ask months. you this. How many of the patriarchs, we always say that, oh, you know, only birthdays in the Bible are pagans. Well, how do we know that Abraham was so old when Isaac was born? How do we know that Abraham was so many years old when he died? Okay, How I think we know... you're getting into the weeds here, though. Should... No, no, no. The point is years, this the word Shana is used. Years can start anywhere. Years, the word, the, the category of Shana. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. The, the category of Shana, they're not all born, not everybody in the Bible was born... Um, you know, that people are measuring how old people are by how many years or the years of, of reigns of kings, for example. OK, hang on just a sec. Okay. Or the years from how many years it was. I'm with you. you. I, I understand what you're saying now, but let's let's expand on this a little bit. So that so in the chat room, somebody says, according to Leviticus 23, we're in the seventh month. That's absolutely correct. That's correct. Because we count months from Nissan. OK, but here's the question. When do you reckon the Jubilee year from? It's not Nissan. Exactly. That's the uh, other information that we need to include in our thinking. The Yovel year is reckoned from the seventh seventh month. Seventh month. So it is the head of of reckoning certain years, right? And And not only that, in Leviticus 25, it is... It says here. Let's see if you go. You mean twenty three? Uh, well, oh, I'm well. Twenty five is where it's the Yovel. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. In in the Yovel commandment is oh, oops, sorry. I got to go to. I was still in Exodus on my my little digital Bible here. Leviticus twenty five. He said in verse nine, "You shall sound the ram's horn." This is this word teruah. On the tenth day of the seventh month, right? So we started counting from from Aviv, right? Nisan, in the spring. We get to the seventh month. On the tenth day, you shall do a teruah. It's a kind of it's a day of teruah, really. The tenth uh, day, day of atonement. It says. It says uh, Yom Hakippurim, right? Day of atonements. You shall blow the shofar. This is on the fifth. This is on the the the. 50th year. It says, thus consecrate the 50th year. 
you shall you, you shall consecrate the year. It doesn't say thus. That's the NASB translation. And et hamishim shana. So, so the the, the chat room says uh, Miguel in the chat room says civil and religious calendars, and I see I kind of agree with him. I I do agree with him in that we see uh, the beginning of the months. In other words. The first of the months comes in in Nisan, right? We have the same thing that happens in the Gregorian calendar. December 31st is New Year's Eve. January 1st is New Year's Day. This is the new year in the Gregorian calendar. But what happens in September? Beginning of the school year. That's right. Right? We there Even in the Gregorian calendar, and when Paul says you never see a, a, a new year in, in June or July... Well, no, but you see a new year, a new school year happen in August, September, right? Right, right. And we have that. It's it's the same thing. Let's um, the, the claim that that uh, this term Rosh Hashanah is never used though in the Bible is maybe a little. We got to be careful when we think New Year. I, 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 it seems like people think too much. They get in a rut <clears throat> because the word new is not there. It's Rosh Hashanah, and and we need to be careful. Even if you're going to disagree with the rabbis, that's fine. I'm not saying you have to listen to the rabbis, but at least represent them accurately. Look at what it says in in the Mishnah. Well, and, wait, 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 there wait, are wait. four new years. Uh, I agree. Four, I, four I agree. heads of years. I agree. Okay, but let's look. Let's start. Let's go cr- chronologically. Okay, Ezekiel 40 verse one. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year. Uh, That's the only which is Berosh Hashanah, right? Berosh Hashanah. It's the only place in all the Tanakh you have the phrase Rosh Hashanah. I agree with you. Hang on, though. Uh, it says it continues on at the head of at the head of the year, okay? Uh, and in the uh, ESV, where they translated at the beginning of the year, on the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after the city was struck down. Why do the rabbis say that this is? the seventh month and not the first, why do they say it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, they say that this is Yom Kippur. They, they don't say that it's, it's, uh, he has a heavenly vision on, on a, uh, it makes sense that it would be. Well, it's not just that he has a heavenly vision. Rashi says that it's because the, uh, the exile came about because they wouldn't let the land lay fallow, right? They didn't, they didn't celebrate the Ovel year. <clears throat> they were exiled, and it was said that for every year that they didn't let it uh, lay fallow, they would be exiled, right? Or something to that effect. That uh, I don't have the text in front of me. I'm, I apologize. But the point Sorry. is, is that so when it says in the 25th year after our exile of our exile, it's counting from the time that they were exiled. They were exiled because they because of the Yovel year. Yeah, I mean that's. That makes sense. Hang on I mean, just a second. He's, he's, so he's, he's taking here. a tour. He's taking a tour of of a temple. When does a priest go into to the temple in this? You know, it's not the tenth day of Nisan. So uh, Rashi and Radak, based on Seder Olam twenty four, explain the thirtieth year as being the thirteenth year of the Yovel, the fifty the fifty year cycle. Leviticus twenty five eight. This is computed as the basis of uh, Ezekiel 40, verse 1. In the 25th year of our exile, the beginning of the year on the 10th of the month, our sages 
teach that the start of the Yovel year is reckoned from the 10th of Tishri, Yom Kippur, as opposed to Rosh Hashanah. Thus, if the 25th year from Yehoiakim's exile was a Yovel year, it follows that 30 years before the 5th year of the exile was also a Yovel. This is why they call it Rosh Hashanah, is because they're counting from the Yovel year and from the exile of the Yovel, or because of, of the exile because of the Yovel, right? So, I I mean, I agree that the Torah specifically calls it Yom Teruah, and I have no pro. I think that we certainly should call it, oh, they say, give us the scripture verse, Ezekiel 40, verse 1. And then, and then following is a vision following, of, the, of yeah. the heavenly temple and its need to be cleansed, right? Which is all Yom Kippur language. So basically, my my whole point in this is, yes, we should call it, we should call the festival Yom Teruah, right? Because that's what the Torah calls it. However, the fact that it's called that 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 Judaism calls it Rosh Hashanah, there's reasons for it, and it's not paganism. By the way, for those who are interested, uh, you can uh, in your show notes, I put a whole uh, a whole excerpt from uh, this this portion in, by Block. Um, Oh, Daniel Block, the the ISBE. Yeah, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, and he talks about the two Babylon, or he talks about the Babylonian and the Assyrian uh, uh, celebration of Akitu, uh, which it moved all over the place. In some instances, it's found. Yeah, it's in, in the spring. Yeah, it's it, in it's, Nissan. Yeah, it's not. It's not a. It's not a fault. Some people are saying, "Oh, Rosh Hashanah in the seventh month is somehow Akitu." So there, there's all sorts of confusion out there. Yeah, Daniel Block wrote an excellent article, uh, the entry for, quote, New Year in that encyclopedia. So, um, And it is good. It's long. I didn't have time to read the whole thing. I, I want to get to it. But he goes through pretty thoroughly through arguments for understanding Ezekiel 40 as uh, talking about the seventh month. And then he goes back and says, "Well, here are the here are the pros for it being read as the first month." And um, in my view, I, as much as I love Block's article, he is um, he wants it to be. It seems like he wants it to be spring. And the idea of New Year, I think, is sticking too strong in his idea here. His idea, I think, uh, if we look at other things that were in the in the in the air in the second temple period, particularly it can help us qualify the rabbinics and not try to read too much, uh, into the, the rabbis say in the Mishnah, which is our earliest rabbinic, you know, official legal text says there are four Rosh Hashanahs. And then they each have a different, uh, indicate and mark a different kind of cycle, just like it was the person in the chat room saying, you know, it's like the civil, is one or the school, et cetera. It's that kind of thing, except there's four of them throughout the year, and they all represent the beginnings of different cycles of shanot, of a, a cycle being a shana um, that can begin at different points. But the, but we're, it's clear, like we see in, in uh, Leviticus 25, that the yovel is a, it marks a cyclical uh, year. And uh, anyway, Block's article gives some other examples uh, of that as well. Um, there, but there's another. There's another in the scriptures itself. 
in the, the epistle of Hebrews. If you look in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews is talking about, uh, it's, remember the whole epistle of Hebrews is likening Yeshua, or putting Yeshua and, and the high priesthood of the Levitical order, uh, and the Yeshua's priesthood in the order of Melchizedek uh, side by side. And the big point in these chapters of uh, middle chapters of the Epistle of Hebrews pertains to Yom Kippur. It's likening Yeshua's, uh, or it's sorry, it's it's teaching that says the Ruach Hakodesh is teaching through the Mishkan design and through the annual calendar of the Kohen Gadol on earth of the sons of Aharon, who goes in one time that the Holy Spirit is teaching us something about Yeshua's heavenly priesthood to the true tabernacle, which men did not build. It's the, it's the one that the Lord said, look at what's here and make it like what I show you here on the mount. And what does he say concerning Yom Kippur? And starting in verse 10, he, he says, these things can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Hmm. In those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. A reminder of sins. That's really important, I think. A reminder of sins year by year. Um, why is that important? Because that means looking at Yom Kippur as some sort of annual, part of an, uh, a cyclical remembrance of sin that happens. And forgiveness, of course, right? And that's what the seventh month is about. Is a it's an there's an there's a, a shana, there's a an annual cycle that is marked there, not in the spring, but in the seventh month, pertaining to the confession and and uh, of sin, of course, the account the judgment before God and the and belief in God as a forgiving heavenly father. That's marked here clearly remembrance of sin year by year good okay we're uh i think we're uh we're good yeah yeah there was one more verse i wanted to pull up here go it is um do 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 do, do. okay the, uh, 23 leviticus 23 says to the sons of israel in the seventh month the first of the month you shall have a, a shabbaton a, zik, a zikron, a remembrance by the blowing of trumpets. So, what is it being? What what are we? What is it we're remembering? Hmm. I suggest that this is tied that that Yom Teruah and Yom Hakipurim are are intimately tied together, in that they both proclaim. Uh, they both use the word teruah, the blowing of a shofar. There's uh, a memorial. Yom Kippur on the, the seventh seven, right, or on the 50th year, marks is where the is decreeing the jubilee, but that the shana actually is marked from the, from the first day of the seventh month. So the year of jubilee, we get the trumpet blowing on the first, and then you get the trumpet blowing on the tenth day with the forgiveness and the release being connected for that for that whole year, um, but th these it's seasonal, right? There's a cyclical aspect, and it's not 
we don't start counting the months from the seventh month. No one is suggesting that we call the seventh month, really we need to call it uh, the first month. No one's suggesting that. And so what it seems to me is that people get kind of confused in the language and they start thinking new year in English, new year. And they're like, well, there's no way it's a new year because we already started counting one for months. So if, if we just like kind of just lay patiently lay out all the details and, you know, if you see someone or hear someone saying, oh, this, you know, Rosh Hashanah in the seventh month means that actually this is the first month, then obviously that would be mistaken. Right. Because Exodus 12, two clearly says the first of the months is is the is in the springtime. And then the, the fall feasts begin with the seventh month. So we should probably let our audience go because uh, our, our listeners over in England only have 45 minutes until it starts. Oh, <laughs> oh, you know what that means? That means the festival is upon us. And yeah. Uh, I'm very happy for that. I hope that uh, I hope that if if you've never celebrated uh, Yom Teruah before, if you've never celebrated Yom Kippur before, uh, or or Sukkot, I encourage you to do so. All of the all the biblical festivals are are certainly a blessing to uh, to celebrate. They teach me something new about not right. only God but about the Torah and about our Savior Yeshua every single time I celebrate them. And exactly. So, and and one more point, Caleb, too, is that and we'll be able to talk about this next week. Yom Kippur assumes everybody has sinned from the high priest down. Yeah. Right? Yes. It assumes that we've sinned. So the Torah isn't coming and saying, if you've sinned, confess it. Yeah. It's saying, confess your sins, which yep. means this is that. This marks uh, this blowing of this shofar. Is this hitting you? Like, uh, is it waking you up? Or are you anticipating? Are you the one blowing the shofar? Or are you the one who's, you know, there's a person out there committing sin and they think they're getting away with it, and then that they hear that alarm go off. We don't want to be caught by surprise. And I think God gives us this gift of this shofar now because he is a merciful God, and he's calling people to repentance. He's calling people yeah. to repentance because sin will be taken into account, right? He, the books will be opened, and there there is a judgment. And so we, our heart is just like King David's. King David was a man guilty of adultery, of murder, and he, what did he do? He, that, that means the death penalty, right? But he said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me, mm -hmm. Psalm 51. He knew that it couldn't be from his own strength. He needed God to create him anew. Leif Tahor Barali, it uses the word bara, create a Lave Tahor, a pure heart. And that's what that's what this season was about. What does Yeshua say in, in the Gospels and Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. <clears throat> that's that's so important. Uh, John Piper preached on that uh, last year in, in San Antonio. Yeah. Pure of heart. We want to pray that the Lord would clean our hearts like Psalm like David did in, in Psalm fifty one, that we would uh have his joy. So when it comes time for Sukkot, we have genuine Sameach. We have genuine joy and fellowship with God. All right. Hey, don't forget to uh, get a hold of us. You can do that 253 465 3205. That's our comment line. 
You won't talk to us. You get an answering machine. Tell us how much you love us or hate us. We don't care. Uh, we just like hearing from people. Or write us an email, chag at torahresource.com. Once again, we do hope that everybody has just a wonderful, wonderful uh, Yom Teruah tonight and uh, a day off tomorrow if you are blessed enough to get it, as uh, Rob and I both are. And, uh, yeah, don't forget that uh, this uh, this show is not only made possible by our wonderful, wonderful scholar, or, uh, scholars, sponsors, rather, uh, who have uh, blessed us with the ability to continue on in this work, but most of all, it's, uh, it's uh, made possible through the generous contributions of listeners, of our listeners, who continue to uh, bless us by keeping us on the air. So if you'd like to do uh, help do that, you can do that by going to TorahResource.com and going to the donate button and uh, leave us a note. If you're going to uh, put some money in the in the box on your way out, then uh, leave us a note. Let us know that you're listening to The Robin Caleb Show because we certainly do appreciate hearing from everybody. So a wonderful uh, festival tonight and uh, tomorrow. Uh, we hope that everyone not only has a good time, but also uh, puts their heart towards the Messiah Yeshua, right? As we prepare for Yom Kippur uh, 10 days out. And uh, we hope that this conversation has not only blessed you, but blessed the, any audience that hears it. And uh, we play, pray most of all that this conversation has done one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua the Messiah.